You're listening to 2.23am with Dr. Christine McDougall. Are you ready for a new kind of success and fulfillment? End the silent struggle. Join us as Dr. Christine McDougall speaks to successful, high-achieving men as they share their journey towards a more fulfilling and sustainable life and business and discover the better alternative. It's 2.23am and the life of your future is calling. conversation this week is with entrepreneur Jack Tanner, a young man living in the world of the cutting-edge technology of blockchain. I so love when people surprise you with their capacity for deep reflection and thoughtfulness. It was an absolute delight to spend time with Jack. He is wise beyond his years. We did have a few technical issues and there was some interruptions by Millie the dog, but these are minor glitches as backdrop to a wonderful conversation. Jack is the CTO and co-founder of workonblockchain.com and has been involved in numerous blockchain projects and education events around the world since 2015. He completed a master's in computer science in 2017 and now lives in Amsterdam. He enjoys both business and technical problems and working with diverse teams in fast-paced environments. Jack is an avid globetrotter and has lived, worked, and studied in the United States, Ecuador, Colombia, Mexico, England, and the Netherlands. Please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Jack Tanner. So today, my guest is Jack Tanner, who is the co-founder and CTO of Work on Blockchain, and I'm speaking to Jack in Amsterdam. Welcome, Jack. Lovely to have you. Hey, thanks very much for having me. As you know, as I've given you an indication, um, the purpose of this podcast is to, to speak with men about what it means to be a man in today's world. And so I'd love to hear your perspective, just the, the broad question at the moment, as a 29-year-old uh, who was um, born and raised, I'm assuming, in Australia and now living overseas. So what's your experience of being a man in today's environment? It's a broad question, so you can go anywhere with that, Jack. Yeah, that is a broad question. Uh, well, I work in the technology sector at the moment, and before then I was working as an engineer, so I've generally been working in fairly male-dominated areas, uh, which, which uh, yeah, I, I can't say I like. I would prefer there to be more diversity in these fields, uh, I guess, but also, I think, I think that would uh, be better for you know the world and, and the, the local communities that that these businesses are affecting to have more women in them. And I, I have to agree with you on that. I've had quite a lot to do in the tech industry, and I'm continually alarmed at seeing a panel. Where you look at the website and go, "Oh my God, it's just stacked with." Men. Uh, <laughs> um, so how how do you, you know? How, well, first of all, how do you think having uh, more diversity? And I'm not just including women. I'm including sort of like the whole enchilada of diversity. Would it mm-hmm. would make a difference to to technology that we're currently uh, that's currently about to rule the world essentially? Yeah. Well, you know, the fact that technology is such a driving factor for, for you know, our cultural evolution means that, the, you know, there are big decisions being made, maybe not consciously, but 
there are decisions being made at industry level, at company levels that affect, you know, what's going on in the world and affect how, uh, yeah, our culture evolves. And these decisions, because they're in tech, are mostly being made by men. And, and it's a pretty low diversity cut for women. Uh, and, and and what women and other, other you know, diverse groups can add is their you know, their decision-making process, which reflects better on, you know, the global uh, community of people. So if we have more women making decisions in tech, it's going to reflect better what women want in the world, and that will better shape how our society evolves with technology. Yeah, well, I happen to agree with you on that, of course. But um, so have you ever had the opportunity to work in an environment where there has been a more equal distribution? Have you had that experience? Not recently. Not, not recently and, and not, in, not in tech. I'm, I'm working with a team. There's actually a few ladies who I'm working with in Pakistan that, okay. that are quite talented that I'm, I'm quite happy with. In my last project in Dorse, we had a, a entirely male team no females working on the tech side right and there were there were some females on the team but they were in the business side and I, I didn't get to uh interact with them at all right okay okay so if we sort of move the circle out of uh just what you're currently doing um uh from a technology perspective given the the rise of the me too movement and <laughs> Uh, I literally uh, half an hour ago read some Twitter thing about um, how a woman was saying her son needs to be loaded up with cameras and, and digital devices to record in case he was falsely accused of being a sexual predator. Mm. <laughs> um, their, their, their daughter, a female, or, or their son as well. No, no, no. This woman was actually saying that she needs to buy okay. all this equipment for her son to go out so that he is not falsely accused of being a sexual predator. And uh, I'm, I'm oh. going, yeah, <laughs> I'm going, okay, right. <laughs> um, yeah. but given, is this in Australia? No, no, it was an American tweet. Um, <laughs> but, given, but given... <laughs> Given the uh, and the the guy that responded to it said something along the lines of, um, "I'm going to teach my son to actually uh, respect women, so I don't think he's going to need that stuff." Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know that there are women that falsely accuse. Not to say that everyone's completely uh, Snow White here, uh, but anyway. So, given this environment, how is that is that affecting you in any particular way? Are you are you how do you think about these things and engage at, with as someone as a twenty nine year old? I mean, in my professional life, it. it I, I guess in my professional and personal life, I, I will just try to treat everybody's equal, whether yes. they're, they're female or male and trying to respect them equally. I don't, I don't think, yeah, that's just my rule. I just think that's how humans should be. Yes. And to, to be honest, it doesn't, um, you know, it, it's, you know, I work digitally online, so I am in my profession, not, you know, in physical contact with, um, with many uh, people 
I'm just, uh, you know, in communication with them. And, and, you know, when you work online, you just communicate clearly, you talk quite directly, and you stay to the point. Um, there's always a bit of chit-chat to, to make things friendly. But uh, it, I, don't know, I feel like that would be hard to escalate out of control, yes. especially considering my, my morals. I, I do a lot of education as well, and, and in those circumstances, uh, you know, ed, when I'm educating or when I'm going to, to events to learn more or, or network, then I guess I'm, I'm seeing people professionally. But yeah, for, for me, it doesn't feel like an issue because I, I know that it will never be an issue for me that, yeah. that uh, I'm going to disrespect a woman, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. And so were you, did you have a, um, a fairly healthy family life when you were younger? Good role yes, models? Yes, I think. Yes? I think so, yes. Yeah, and, and still do. I get along very well with my parents now. Right. Lovely. Yeah, and brother and sister. Okay, very nice. And so um, have you come across in the sort of tech-dominated, male-dominated world, have you come across what we could put in parentheses as toxic masculinity? Have you seen that behaviour? Uh, well, I, I lived in Mexico for a year and a half and South America for a year and a half, and there it is a very macho culture. And I think in the Americas in general, even in North America, but especially in Latin America. So I saw it there all the time uh, where, where women were less valued by the men. Mm. And, and there wasn't much I could do. I had my own tech startup in Mexico yes. and my, my go-to uh, manager was, was a woman, an American woman. And... Yeah, we got along fine. Uh, there, there was there was never an issue, and she was pretty happy with how it was. But we we always had. Yeah, I'm always aware of these um, these cultures when I'm working with overseas teams, and it's 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 a hard thing to do. So uh, to give you an example, I I've sometimes set up for uh, you know people to review each other. Yes. in their teams and I'm very aware that in these cultures not only between men and women but between um, between different between different um, you know levels within a company there's kind of this power struggle yes and I think it happens less in in Europe and maybe Australia but it does happen a bit but it, it's definitely more prevalent in in uh, other countries and and certainly when I was living in, in Latin America I was very aware of this yeah so trying to trying to get the right responses knowing try, trying to interpret responses of people knowing that there is this power struggle mm. can can be difficult and then trying to set things up to be appropriate uh, you know gender appropriate and culturally appropriate to allow to obtain you know the right uh, answers from people can also be a delicate balance yeah because you're, you're as a, somebody who would was a guest essentially in another country it makes it a little bit more tricky mm. uh, so there's diplomacy required as well yes diplomacy exactly uh, yeah it's I don't know I, I find it 
yeah, I guess a challenge, a learning curve to, to navigate through that diplomacy. Yeah. And, and also, uh, I guess it's a saddening thing that that's the case, um, that you have to do it that way. But, but there does have to be some level of consideration for these situations. Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess that, that's the way it is. And you've, you've got to try and encourage people when they are in that situation to to speak up but especially when you when you're working with with teams that are not on, like actually your control so I work with contracted teams agencies so when they're not your own employees for example mm-hmm. th- then it, it's difficult it's not really your place to tell employee employees of another company how they should be behaving within their company yes. or things like this that that's difficult as well yeah 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 so so it really um, best best course of action is for you to model the type of behavior that you would like other people uh, and and uh, yeah I, I, I can see that 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 could be probably the best way to go about that yeah I try and you know act in a way that shows that I am um, open and, and tolerant to anybody approaching me, no matter who they are, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I can do in that situation. I can't go in to, to another agency and tell them how to behave, yeah. and and things like this. Yeah, um, I, I can just show them how I behave and let them know that it's okay to approach me. Mm. So how do you think, given that your experience in the in, uh, currently, which is happening all over the world, it's not isolated anywhere in the tech industry, that it's still this very male-dominated, ha- how, what's your thoughts on how to change that? Mm, it's a good, very good question. So, so, so I think there's, and I, I think this answer depends on where you are and who you're talking to. So there are people who believe that there needs to be some level of um, of external motivation. So, so let's just talk about females for, for right now. So that would be governments or companies externally motivating women to um, act and, and join the workforce and things like this. And mm-hmm. that could be through creating programs that that are specifically for for women mm-hmm. um, that that men can't apply to or that women are given preference to, and I think that makes sense in some situations where where women uh, really uh, are not close to the equality that men have, mm-hmm. and that they need to be shown that they are valued. I don't think that applies to all women in, in all con- in, in in all of these places. Yeah. But I, I think I do think that in, in a lot of places in the world still that makes sense to just pull women up a bit. Some women don't like this, some some and, and some men don't like this, that you know, women should have to be pulled in or, or pushed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's it's true that the better way for this to work is for women to to do it themselves and and to feel like they are on an equal uh, footing 
to get to wherever they want to be as men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a hard balance. I think so. I'm I'm living here in the Netherlands, and I think that the strategy where you push women by having policies or or programs that favor them is is not so good here because here there is quite an equal gender distribution compared to other places I've lived. And so I think it's not a very valid strategy here um, because I think, you know, women, women here do feel fairly valued and they would feel like that's unnecessary and and is 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 a piece of the gender imbalance problem you know if if you start if you start favoring women for certain things because because you're trying to push them or whatever yeah then that's also not showing gender balance right and so so what i think i'm hearing you say is that uh, it's country specific or or place specific, um, yeah. circumstantial, specific. culturally specific, and yeah. uh, and circumstantial specific as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. and yeah. So-, so you could have like subgroups. Maybe you could be targeting different um, economic classes, and, right. and right. Diff- you'd have different strategies depending on those. Like middle class, yeah. maybe a different strategy to lower class, something like this. Yeah within a certain culture yeah I uh, interestingly I went from being a uh, more of a, a person that thought about pure meritocracy which is the reason I'm saying pure as in merit what do you what are we putting merit on <laughs> what are we measuring as merit which is oh, yeah. yeah which makes it a question in Australia where I actually believe particularly in some of the some of the categories for social social good like politics and and uh, and boards and so on that we actually need to have a quota system that has a moratorium so it's bounded it's not mm-hmm. eternal it's not forever but if we if we have a uh, a quota system say for 15 years i'm just making this up where you have to have a percentage of x and it could be women it could be other people except yeah. and, and the purpose Immigrants. yeah and the purpose of the time frame is so that people have an experience of what it is to work in those environments because uh, yeah. I, in, the, in the interview with Adam Jacoby uh, on the podcast, he has, in the last two roles, he's, ex- he's experienced working with a plus 50% women on the executive team. Nice. And nice. Uh, yeah, and 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 uh, I didn't ask him the explicit question, but it, it sounded to me that he would never revert from that because he's he's oh, okay. now he's now had the experience of the value that that's brought that you can't yeah. have until you can't until you've had it. You can, it's theory until you're actually in that place. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and yeah. yeah, and so that's why I've sort of thought you know maybe um, a quota with a boundary that it's not in perpetuity. It is to ch- it's to change the cultural experience of what diversity does. Yeah, I, but like I'm saying, that doesn't you're never going to please everybody. No, but you've got to have you got to have some. I mean, if you're going to work with these things at at, at political levels or or company levels, you, you're just not going to please everyone. Some, you know, there's going to be some uh, person that's going to say, "Well, look, that's that's not equal again." Like, yeah, yeah, and and that's why I I, with you. I I think that it does make sense in a lot of places still. Yeah, yeah. 
And at, at this point in, in human culture, I still think we need to uh, push a bit more and 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 just get us into that situation where where we're having those experiences and people are learning. Well, you know, the the groups are learning, you know, how we can interact in a more balanced way. Yeah. And it's one of my arguments, actually, in the tech space. I think I had this with you via email um, that for anything to be created in the tech space, whether you're creating a robot or AI or whatever else like that, someone has to design the the output, the endpoint, the what is we're creating this for, and someone has to be there to think about what's this going to do, how is it going to affect humanity, how is all of those pieces? There has to be that that uh, that thoughtful. What are we creating? <laughs> and yeah. I, I've always argued that that is where there should be the greatest level of diversity at that level, because then the, if if we don't have enough women in in, in uh, that can code, uh, at least we can have women at the place where they're co-creating the what we're actually making. And then that is they're, given they're, to the the designers and architects. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. correct. Yeah. Because if we want a world that doesn't get the same result as the one that we've got right now, some people might think it's marvellous. Um, <laughs> we need to have a different group of people making the stuff that's going to affect us, my opinion, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have two comments. I think the first is that I think you're identifying that coders are not always the decision makers here. Yes. And and I think that that is the case. Co- coders often get given a problem. Uh, you know, we want this user story, make it happen. Yes. And that user story is what defines how it is. And, and there are little details in there that the developer has to make. But generally, the, the entire user experience is decided before that point. The, the second comment I have is that the designers and the architects in these technical systems need to be fairly technical. In, I mean, especially in the space I'm working in, in blockchains, people, people need at this stage of that technology, and if you're talking about AI, they need to understand how these technologies work. Mm-hmm. And, and the best ones are ones that have coded before. So in that sense, I, I think we do need to, you know, while we want, we, we want, more female coders and designers and architects, sorry, designers and architects of these systems. But what what we need is that more women actually become coders themselves, even if that's just so they can become the, the high-level expert designers, architects, and product managers later that right. need to have that technical background to be able to do that job at a really uh, high and professional level. Okay, great. I really appreciate that distinction. Very good. So, uh, stepping away from the this this part of the conversation, uh, I'm have you have you in your life uh, had lots of um, opportunity to have fairly vulnerable conversations with other men? Is, uh, p- is, personally, yes, I think so. Professionally, professionally. I'm not sure. How would you describe a vulnerable conversation? Well, just where it's you're not just talking uh, 
technology, the cricket or uh, football, soccer, you know, what <laughs> the girls or whatever it is, the conversation is happening, that you're actually talking about more meaningful, uh, you're talking about your, your life experience, your feelings, your what is bothering you, that sort of stuff. Uh, at a personal level, absolutely. Okay. Um, with with my friends, uh, professionally, yeah, I mean, with, with my current co-founder, we we do talk. Um, with my current business, I, th I think yeah, okay. a little bit. Very good. And is that something? So with your with your friends, because this is given your age. I, I'm really curious. I know certainly in my age group the uh, the predominant education for um, the boys was boys don't feel <laughs> boys don't cry yeah <laughs> boys don't yeah. be emotional boys don't well they can be angry but that's not considered emotional um, <laughs> boys don't uh, you know boys have to be stoic that's my dog yeah <laughs> I think I, I was subscribed to, to that level of thinking quite you know when I went through the education yes and I that that has broken down for me for for a number of reasons i think just as you mature and grow up you realize that that's a bit of bullshit um and also i i think yeah i think i have opened up a, a lot emotionally over the years um so so living in latin america and, and dating a, a latin woman for a while, I think oh, that yes. really showed me how, how, how emotional people can can uh, express themselves, and that was a learning experience, and, and I think that affected me yes. um, a bit, but I think it, it has also just been a gradual uh, experience and maturity to to allow that to happen to myself, and it, it's it's quite interesting to to move from one to the other. I I um, and I think it's still happening. I feel um, that I let more emotions affect my decision making, and that that does affect what decisions I make now and how I think about the world. And it's I, I'm I'm not convinced it's better or worse. It's just different. I haven't made up my mind yet. It's just different. So can you give um, me can you give me an example of how you might do that if you feel comfortable? Is there some 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 decision that you've made where, or just even if it's it's just the sort of process that you use now that uh, might help people understand how you do that? Let let me see if this can help you out. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure. So so. I'm I'm quite a rational person, a yes. rational thinker, and that's always been the case, and it still is the case now. However, I do find myself, um, you know, taking, you know, just how how my body feels, and I guess how that's that's coming from how how my emotions are interacting with me. I take that into account when I'm making decisions. So before, I would say this is the logical thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then just do it, like thinking out of my brain. Mm -hmm. Now, that still exists, but 
I also know this is what my my emotions or my body is is feeling and while I can't give like an explanation of why it's feeling like that I can kind of think of maybe why I can't specifically say I feel like this because this is this is a good decision or not but I, I take that into account okay um and and I guess I wouldn't have before I guess I wouldn't have before because I wasn't exposing myself to those emotional thoughts as mu- as much as I do now. Right. So I'm not sure about a, a specific example, but maybe that makes things more clear. Yeah, they're very helpful. And it, so there's you, you spoke about how your body feels. Uh, it, probably what you'll find if you, because I work in sort of this area a lot, but what you'll find when you start to really get the nuance of this, that there is... There is a body as in a physical experience, a physical body experience, and there is also an emotional experience, and they don't always have to be the same. One can affect the other. Mm. It's, a li- it's a little bit like when you're, when you're feeling hungry, it's a physical body experience that's, mm-hmm. that may not be the same as when you're feeling anxious or happy. Or, and at the same time, if, you're, if you are hungry, you can become anxious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and so there, there's there's that nuance. Uh, there's actually quite a lot of um, uh, study around physical intelligence, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, a whole bunch of lines mm. lines of intelligence, and uh, mm. and the, the physical body intelligence is something that that like anything, it can be developed. But it's it, it there is a distinction actually between that and. And emotional intelligence, although they're tightly linked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something for you to explore as you're as you're walking through this sort of territory of mm. making decisions on a whole experience versus just one aspect of your intelligence. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it's quite an interesting thing to happen. Um, well, I'm really glad that you you uh, you've you had the opportunity to realize that, that uh, particularly through a Latin girlfriend, that <laughs> there is this whole other thing because I, I, I know in my work with, um, with men a lot of times there's this really hard, uh, there's been this hard wall around the emotional aspect and to even bring any form of emotions into a decision or into the conscious awareness is uh, is a taboo. It's a you, we don't do that. We 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 have yeah. to yeah yeah. I, I feel like yeah, it's not the case now, and and I'm surrounded by people here in Amsterdam that it's not the case for them either. Yeah. Very nice. Very good. So, what does it mean for you? That sort of the antithesis of vulnerability. What does it mean for you to be strong as a as a man currently? <sighs> mm. Be strong. Uh, I'm not sure I like this question. <laughs> uh, uh, why do Why do we have to define being strong? Like, what What do you What do you mean? I'm I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be strong. It concept. doesn't have to be strong, as in physically strong. Uh, I'm not talking about do you lift weights and throw throw uh, uh, tires across the floor. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm talking okay. about, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about that, the... That did not cross my mind at all, physical strength. Oh, good, I was oh, good. Especially about your question and why. Yeah. Why... So, I, yeah, so let me give you... Why does it need to be asked? Yeah, so let me give you more context of that. And it, it circles back to, which I was going to come back to anyway, the conversation around power, because... Because these are these are the questions that I believe are in our in in the current cultural and particularly Western society cultural conversations around. So, what does it mean to be a strong man? Uh, does a strong man does a man who demonstrates his masculinity as a strong man does a, do they cry? Do they feel? You know, it comes back to the emotional conversation that we had. Is is that strength or is that weakness? What is what what do you identify within yourself as your own source of strength? Might be a better question. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I will say that in certain cultures there are very different definitions at a cultural level of what is strength and whatnot. Yes. That that's very different to how I define my own strength. Okay. Um, which is what I think you're asking about. Yes. Um. My own strength, I believe comes well from from uh you know my my intelligence yes i think you know make making good decisions yes and and holding good values the value of trust and i think the value of of reliability and honoring your word make you a strong person and being able to being able to make good decisions to make yourself happy and the people around you happy, mm-hmm. which in turn to make yourself happier, and in in a long sustainable sense, hmm. and and that could be in the form of making making enough money to provide for yourself so that you're comfortable, yes. or it could mean providing you know the emotional support to yourself and others. Yeah, that's what I mean by, by, yeah, by what I said. It's actually a really beautiful answer. Thank you. <laughs> so even though it was a hard question, it's actually a really lovely answer about what strength is. Uh, I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Thanks. you know what it it says. It says a lot about who you are as a person, and it says that uh, holding holding the center of who you are. Uh, is even in times I imagine because that's when we most need these values of trust, reliability, honouring your word. It's easy to do that when everything's peachy, but holding that mm. when things aren't so peachy is where real strength yeah. comes. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. And and I mean, we we live in a human world where a social human world where we have to interact with hundreds of people in our local environment all the time, so. You know these environments change, and and the culture of the environments change. So that that can be hard to say, stay steady and reliable in your values over over those different environments and between all the different peoples, because everybody is so different. That I think that can be. Hmm. I think that makes somebody quite strong to be able to do that uh, with everybody. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nicely said. 
So have you ever experienced, have you ever had uh, like a, what I call a dark night or uh, fear, doubt, depression, being down, anxiety, any of that sort of thing? Is that something that you've ever, ever had an experience of? Yeah. So when, when, um, when I was in Mexico, so I was there for a year and a half, and for the last two, two months, I would say, I was angry. And okay. Maybe not angry, frustrated. Frustrated and a bit angry with, with the Mexican culture around me. Yes. I was frustrated at how the trust culture there worked and, and how unreliable the system was um, yes. in Mexico City. Yeah. So, yeah, I got quite frustrated. Some afternoons I would, I would get back to my place and, and I would be angry with the system and, and just sick of it. Yeah. So how did you, other than leaving, <laughs> as you said, the last two months, <laughs> how, did you, yeah. how did you process that? How did you manage through that? Is, was there anything that, anything that helped you sort of shift from that place? Well, I, I'd been in Latin America for three years. I knew, I knew that this was how the system was. Yes. And so there was just a level of acceptance there's just you, you can't fight against that you can't mm -hmm. fight against the culture and and I tried for a while to to kind of affect people's behavior it just doesn't work and you definitely can't do it at a, to multiple people or at all you can only perhaps and only if they want to you know affect mm -hmm. one person or something like this yes so I had to accept that that was just how it was and I just had to get on and, and look at what was, you know, beautiful and good around. And there was plenty of that in Mexico. Like, it's a lovely place. People are really nice. Um, it's just bloody hard to do anything efficiently and, and such. So I guess I had to remember that. Sometimes I would just really get, get uh, you know, quite annoyed when there was, like, accumulation of events in one day. And 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 th on those days I would go home angry, but then I would get up the next day and remember, okay, yeah, I know this is just how it is, and and there's lots of cool stuff and, and nice things around, so it's all right. And then yes, I did leave, mm -hmm. and and uh, I I figured that was going to have to happen. Not mm. not not too long after I moved to Latin America, I I felt like it was not to be a long term, you know, and not to be a lifelong decision to move to Latin America because because life's harder there. That's just yeah the end of the story. Life's harder there. <laughs> no, so, no matter how much money you have or anything, you yes. know, uh, the rich, the poor, life's just harder. Okay. So, uh, and and I am a privileged person, so I have the opportunity to live somewhere easier. So I will. Okay. So you you've done in your earlier sort of life, you've done quite a lot of volunteer work and philanthropy and so on. Is that am I correct? Uh, yeah, I did quite a bit of organized stuff. I was uh, a philanthropy manager at my high school and then again at my fraternity in the United States. Um, but then I've done bits and pieces here and there. I actually haven't done anything for for quite a while. But yeah, I try and do, do what I can. I find myself extremely busy the last two years. And so I, I guess I haven't done too much in that time.
what what motivated you to to do that at, at a younger age? I, I I enjoyed it. Yes. And I I guess I enjoyed giving. It felt good. And I also was aware that 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 would bode well for my career opportunities. Okay. I was aware of this. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, and from from uh, some of the the volunteer and and also being involved in philanthropy coordination and so on. Was there anything that you you really learnt about mm, the life. world? Yeah, through that experience, life. It's a good good general way of asking that question. Yeah. Yes, I I think you know giving without expecting something in return is is just a really good feeling. Yes. That's what. I learned. <laughs> it's that simple. It's very nice, lovely. So. The next, uh, let's say, the next decade of your life. So, to, uh, I'm going to ask two parts to this question. Part number one for yourself: what you're, what you're hoping to achieve, and part number two is how would you like to see the world sort of uh, shifting from from what to what? I know that's a big question. <laughs> mm. Okay, so I'll go with the easier question and what what I see in my life. Yes, I, I I used to be a guy that planned, you know, my career and what I was going to do. Yes. I stopped doing that about five years ago. As I traveled around the world, I realized that there was not really much point in planning out your life. So I don't do it so much. That said, I work in, in technology and, and I really like what I do. And I feel it has the power to affect millions or millions of people. Yes. Um, you know, in, in a scalable way. So I really like that. Uh, I, I also, so while I really enjoy that work, it's, it's, it's more stressful than other types of jobs and work that you do. Um, uh, you also get paid more, which <laughs> is, yeah, so, so there's good and bad. Uh, I, I like the idea of moving into a, a more creative role. Uh, or a role which is more more giving and less receiving. So um, maybe that's something I a direction I take later in life. Mm -hmm. Something more creative in like music or arts, or something more giving in in philanthropy again, um, as as like a real work move. Where I see the world, that's a hard question. Well, what would you like? To see, because you you come across to me, Jack, as being someone with quite an extraordinary depth and sensitivity and thoughtfulness, and so uh, uh, which I find both refreshing and also very rare. So, what would you like to see in the world? What are some of the things that you really care about? I think about the world in in a very global way. And that's because of, of how my life has taken form. And, and my experience have shown me just so many beautiful things, but just how ugly the world is and how unfair it is. You know, what I, what I have identified myself is that there is just a difficulty in man. There needs to be some level of management. And I think 
where I am now is that is that management is uh, you know is quite uh, centralized in the, in the way that we manage humans. So, and and that's a factor of being able to do things efficiently and and such. And and there's not really better ways of doing it than to have you know democracies with hierarchies and things like this. So, I see. You know, the centralization of management as, as. To listen to more of these conversations and access the show notes, visit 223am.com. That's the number two, the number two, the number three am.com and experience a whole new kind of success and fulfillment. If you've got what it takes, experience a session directly with Dr. Christine McDougall. Visit 223am.com and apply now. Thanks for listening.